glad to be here this morning and to see all of you. Uh, we have people traveling all over the country and world today, uh, our church, and we just celebrate with them as they experience life and make memories. That's an incredible thing. Thanks for being here with us this morning. So today we launch into a new series, a series in the book of Exodus, and, um, and I'm, I'm really excited about this. For some time, we've been in New Testament texts. Uh, we studied through the Gospel of Luke. We studied through Acts. Most recently, we were talking real life, living to the fullest, um, a study primarily in the book of James as we were exploring, so what does Christian faith look like in our everyday lives? So now we're, we're shifting uh, back to the Old Testament, right? We're hitting the rewind button and going way back to the book of Exodus. And uh, Old Testament does not mean old, unimportant, worn-out information at all. Uh, in fact, uh, we will find as we study through this over the course of the summer that, um, that Exodus becomes paradigmatic. It becomes this paradigm through which Christianity and the work of God will be understood uh, throughout time. That applies to Israel, the Israelites' life, uh, the, the nation of Israel. That applies to uh, the New Testament text and the beginning church. That applies to our lives today. Uh, Exodus becomes this lens through which we're able to understand and begin to perceive the mission of God and the things that God is doing in the world. And so as we explore Exodus, we will look uh, at this shift from bondage to freedom. A lot of theologians will talk instead of uh, in, in these really complicated terms of the Exodus pattern. So I want to lay out a little framework as we get started talking about this book's book of Exodus and, and what we'll be experiencing here. So this Exodus pattern is, is what I mean when it becomes a paradigm and a lens, lens through which we understand God's mission and the things that he's doing in the world. The Exodus pattern speaks to this. Uh, mission is accomplished by God, and we'll see that in the story of Exodus. It says that the mission of God, though, is enacted through his people, that God engages his people, those of faith, uh, to participate in significant, huge ways. We'll see Moses, Aaron, and many other people doing that sort of thing. The Exodus pattern says that um, God's mission is one of deliverance from bondage and a move towards freedom, that it's out of bondage and into freedom. And finally, the Exodus pattern says that people are invited into lasting relationship or covenant relationship with God. So we're going to see this pattern play out over and over again throughout the book of Exodus. We're going to continue to uh, see how God is accomplishing through people his mission of deliverance from bondage and into freedom, and how people are invited into this lasting relationship with him. Uh, it certainly resonates with the story of Jesus, God sending Jesus into the world and salvation and hope and invitation to new relationship. Uh, but this is a theme throughout Scripture. So today, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to back up a little bit and consider the things that come uh, before so that we can move forward. What's like one of the most complicated movie plots you can remember? You're welcome to shout it out if, if you can think of one, but like, what's an incredibly complicated plot that you've seen play out in a movie? Napoleon Dynamite, that's one. Yeah, that's a good one. Super complex. Uh, I was, this week as I was thinking about the, the complexity 
of God's work and the story that we'll be reading in Exodus, I was reminded of a movie from 2010, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, remember the movie? It was Inception. You remember that one? Um, Inception was this fascinating movie about uh, him trying to plant an idea in the mind of someone while they were asleep. And uh, it was, it's incredibly complex, and the first time you watch it, you're like, I'm not sure I fully got everything happening there. But the plot in the story as it's unfolding is, is incredibly significant. I want you to imagine watching one scene of a movie, right? And so you'd see the scene where a guy saves his friend's life or something, and you'd be like, okay, well, that was kind of cool. But in, in the complexity of the plot and the storyline, how much more exciting does that moment become, right? Or you'll see a scene in a movie where uh, someone's walking on a ceiling in that movie. You'd have to see it to understand why. And that's exactly the point. Uh, it's the plot, it's the storyline that brings the relevance, significance, the understanding to any given scene in a movie. And I believe Exodus plays a very similar role in the work of God, in Scripture, in the church, in our lives, because Exodus uh, narrates for us this theme, this idea, this understanding of the way God works. And if we were to pick any given text in Exodus or anywhere else in Scripture, and just make that everything. You can imagine how much context and depth and understanding we would lose in that text, right? And so Exodus is a story. And today we're going to look at the foreword of the book as we dive into Exodus. Today's kind of an intro, and we're going to do a lot of overview. We're going to cover hundreds and hundreds of years of Israel's history today. And um, and we'll do that in a, a relatively brief fashion, okay? Um, so today we're going to read the foreword of the book, which I know most of us don't read the foreword in a book. We just get into the good stuff, right? But today we got to see it. And today I want to talk, as, as we begin the story of Exodus, about the backstory. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and a man named Joseph, okay? So this is found in your Bibles if you want to go home and do some reading in the next few weeks in Exodus chapter 12 through 50. Now, rather than uh, narrating that all myself, I'm going to turn to a resource. It's kind of like a pinch hitter in baseball, you know? Uh, I'm going to turn to a resource here uh, that I think is phenomenal. It's called The Bible Project. I don't know if any of you are familiar with these videos, but they do an excellent job of narrating both visually and theologically the story of God, that we can see these bigger pictures and these bigger themes and dive further into it. All right. To some of us that have grown up in church, we're quite familiar with that story. I remember when, though, in my life, this began to connect, when Scripture became a little less about isolated stories and interesting things, but really just Jesus, to realizing the narrative that is described throughout Scripture, the story of God's continued work. I think there's some really important themes that they hit on there in Genesis as they talk about uh, Abraham's trust in God and the trust, the foundation of a covenant that he would create with them. Um, it speaks of rebellion and the rebellion of the world, but it demonstrates for us very well something that we don't see as often as clearly on the micro level. It's on the macro level that we recognize how God continues to be faithful to people that continue to, to make mistakes and to sin and to rebel in different ways. It's beautiful as we, as we zoom out there and look at these larger pieces of scripture and this narrative and begin to realize just how faithful God is in the lives of his people. And, and the final statement that they hit on there 
You meant this for evil, but God meant this for good to save many lives. You see, God is faithful and determined to bless people. And so even the most dire of circumstances, which we'll see in the book of Exodus, even in the most dire of circumstances, God is turning the situations to be for the good of humanity. All right, so we're going to dive in today to the book of Exodus. We'll spend just a few minutes here as we set up the story uh, of Exodus. Uh, as, as we saw in the video, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, eventually uh, Jacob's son, uh, Joseph, is sold as a slave in Egypt. He finds himself in Egypt. He rises the ranks in Egypt to the second under Pharaoh and uh, is highly revered. Eventually, during a famine, he brings his family, some 60 people in all. Uh, In fact, Exodus chapter 1, verse 5 says, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70. In all, Joseph was already in Egypt. So about 70 people, the the family uh, that is called Israel, about 70 people had moved to Egypt. Now, for 400 years, the story of Israel, the story of God's people, uh, makes a shift from the patriarchs, who were kind of nomads, they were near Canaan, the promised land. It makes a shift to the story of the Israelites, beginning with 70 people and beginning to grow and multiply very quickly. Uh, these um, 70 people are now resident aliens, living in a nation that is not their own, uh, living in a nation, working hard, but growing and, and, and producing land and uh, and, and advancing. It's a very direct uh, connection to the promise of God. I will make you a great nation. As God allows them to multiply, we begin to see it. But they live here in, in Egypt as resident aliens. Now, uh, I'm not going to go deep into the subject, but I just need to touch on a really uh, hot-button subject. Um, our, you know, immigration policy and things like that are a major conversation in America. How will we deal with uh, foreigners amongst us, resident aliens? Aliens amongst us, right? It's not just America dealing with this. Throughout Europe, they're dealing with immigration reform and, and how to deal with this. Throughout the world, this is a major question. And, um, and I'm not going to answer it today. I can't do that. But I'm going to describe, I, I bring it up because we're going to see in the next few verses in the story of Exodus how not to deal with resident aliens. It will become very clear uh, how not to engage with people that are in our nation. Uh, so we'll continue Exodus chapter one, verse six. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that gener- generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So the Israelites are growing in population quickly. God's promise being fulfilled. They will be a great nation. Uh, then a new king whom Joseph met, uh, meant nothing, to whom Joseph meant nothing, sorry, came into power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. 
So they put slave masters over them and oppressed them with forceful with forced labor, and they built uh, Python and Ramesses as storehouses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. I think that's a funny statement. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. I don't know how that works. You've got an imagination. You can use it. Um, they came, uh, they, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor on brick and mor- in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor, in all their harsh labor, sorry, I can't read well. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Okay, so we, we gain this picture of a people called Israel blessed by God, uh, promised to be a great nation, finding themselves now in, in Egypt, finding themselves under harsh oppression, uh, under, under terrible circumstances. And the story continues and develops as uh, the king of Egypt uh, makes an edict to the, the Hebrew midwives saying, uh, you must kill the male first, uh, the, the males that are born. Let the women live, but the, uh, kill all the males. But the midwives there in Egypt, it says they feared God. And so they didn't do what the king said. He calls them back in and he says, why haven't you done the things that I've said? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, (laughs) Hebrew women, they're not like Egyptian women, and they're vigorous, and they give birth before we even get there. It's a great excuse. I want to say, there's a lot of humorous things in this text, and we won't bring it all out, but um, they make up an excuse. They pass the buck. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. Now, I want to ask this question of us as we consider this text today that sets up the story of, of Exodus. I want to ask us, what do we do when times are not good? Where does our mind go when we expect blessing and opportunity, but are met by oppression and, uh, and, and all sorts of harsh conditions around us? Well, I'll tell you what um, the Israelites did. We'll, we'll kind of look forward in their story. Uh, first, they, they put their heads down and they worked. They engaged in what they were there to do. That's an okay response. But their second response, I think, is pretty common and maybe many of us can relate to in our lives. Uh, second, they begin to forget about God, the promises, and the covenant in which they lived. They begin to lose sight of the God that had brought them uh, out of a famine as 70 people and has multiplied them to, uh, at this point, I don't know uh, the number, but over a million people Israel will be, right? The, the God who has made all these promises. Isn't it interesting how in the moments of life, we completely lose sight of the bigger picture and the things that God has been doing and is doing. It's so easy to focus directly on the problems and the issues at hand. And like, just imagine in life, a problem, a major challenge stretching out for a year of our life, and that year feels like an eternity. 
But when we zoom out, like we have a little bit on the story of Genesis, when we zoom out and we look at the circumstances of life, we begin to see the way God has equipped and blessed and given opportunity and advanced us. Wouldn't it be beautiful to get fast forward 20 years into the future and see how God's story of blessing and provision continued to develop in our lives? But in that moment, uh, we put our heads down and work, And sometimes, like the Israelites, begin to forget about God and the promises that he's made to us. Now, I don't want to belittle them uh, or or, um, I, I don't want to understate the challenge that they face. For 400 years, they're slaves in Egypt. This means generations came and went knowing only oppression and slavery. You can imagine the effect that that has on people. But uh, nonetheless, in spite of those circumstances, God was at work. Um, Instead of leaning into God, they begin to forget. So what do we do in, in bad climates in life? What do we do when oppression faces us? What do we do when we find ourselves in a job that's uh, devastating to our, our spirit, our well-being, our joy in life? Well, they did one thing. They continued uh, to work. They continued to advance. But secondly, I'd challenge counter to the story of Israel that we lean into a God who continues to be at work in the circumstances of life. So in, in, our, in our narrative today, as we have, like I said, covered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we've seen many characters. Uh, Abr- Abram, who becomes Abraham, a man who trusted in God and entered into covenant with him. Joseph was a man of integrity. Uh, he, he trusted in God, and, and he was forgiving, and his is a story of uh, reconciliation and restoration amongst his family. The Israelites, who were resident aliens, who uh, participated in the land in which they were, were treated very badly, but thrived and continued to be blessed by God, even in the midst of the suffering. We see Pharaoh, the negative character, like the epitome of evil and rebellion from God. Pharaoh, at this point in the narrative through the book of Genesis, just beginning Exodus, this is the most wicked character that has entered the Bible yet at this point. And he just epitomizes all that is rebellion against God. And we'll read more about it, but we cut a glimpse as he's having uh, the every male child in Israel killed, right? He is the epitome of oppression and evil in the world, and God is going to come to combat that. Uh, We saw the midwives who feared God and acted upon their convictions rather than the commands of those around them. Again, a character that we should emulate in life. But ultimately, uh, any, any story in Scripture, especially these Old Testament stories, I'd challenge us to read them less through the lens of the main character in the story and realize who is truly the main character in the story, which is God. And so today, as we conclude, I want to challenge us to this, to remember that throughout Scripture, throughout history, and throughout our lives, there is a God who is faithful, a God who is faithful in spite of our failure, in spite of our circumstances, a God who is faithful. 
And I want to invite each of us in our different circumstances in life. Uh, we have uh, people moving, people in bad jobs, people struggling in relationships, and all of these different things amongst us. We all have different things that we're challenged by. I want to invite us to consider leaning in to a God who loves and a God who is faithful. What does that look like in your life? You get to explore that and have a conversation with your spouse or someone later on. But I invite you to consider what does it look like to lean into a God who is loving and faithful in spite of me and my faults or the circumstances that surround me. In the week to come, I pray that we will know the faithfulness of God, that we will have eyes to zoom out of the moment and to see God's love and faithfulness. I don't want to diminish any of the circumstances of our lives, any of the challenges that we're facing in any way, shape, or form. Instead, I want to invite us to lean into the love and the faithfulness of God in the midst of those challenges and circumstances. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for a time to explore your word. And Father, as we have covered so much ground in such a span of time, uh, we see one thing clearly, that you are faithful and that you are loving to your people quite often in spite of themselves. And God, we thank you that you are that God of love and faithfulness. Father, in each of our lives, as we continue to deal with the challenges and the, and the things of life, I pray, Father, that you will give us eyes to see your love and faithfulness, and Father, that you will help us to see uh, the narrative that is our lives in which you have been involved. Thank you, Father, for your love, your faithfulness. We thank you for Jesus and the hope that we found in him. We thank you for a story that describes your work in the world, and as we engage it, Father, give us eyes to see how you continue to work in the world, in us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.